0: to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. I know you work too much. I know you do too much. I know you put pressure on yourself to do hashtag all the things. And you know what? I know that you're probably exhausted and spent from doing that. But we are human beings, not human doings. And this is why I've invited today's guest, Chris Lovett to talk about the power of doing less. How, when we are less busy, we can create more impact in the world. And this has been a really interesting conversation for me because I support so many women who get caught up in this busyness, this overworking pattern, where we have to constantly, frantically deal with our internal demands as well as the external demands placed on our time. I hope that you're going to find lots of wisdom from what Chris is suggesting. And you know what? There might also be some discomfort showing up around some of the things he is suggesting that you can do to do less. What things you can let go of. And it's a bit of an art form to letting go. We have resistance around it and this can feel really challenging for you. So I'm hoping that you can stay with us till the end. There's lots of wisdom here from Chris who will talk about how we need to reduce busyness to gain more focus, clarity, and essentially reach our goals in a more valuable, meaningful way. And that is music to my ears. We are very well aligned. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Chris Lovett is a TED speaker, author, professional minimalist, disruption expert, and renowned lifestyle executive leadership and career coach supporting overworked, overwhelmed and overconsumed professionals to be less busy and make more sustainable impact. And by deploying his now beloved authenticity, warmth, charm and wit as well as his advanced approach to minimalism through first-hand real-world experience, academic research and progressive ideas, Chris has become a modern in-demand talent full of practical, relevant and sustainable advice, stories and knowledge that guides people to discover How to create a new normal and be less busy, less cluttered, less stressed, and more impactful, more intentional, and more purposeful in their personal and professional lives. As you will hear in this episode, we also use a sense of humor and playfulness, because this is what happens when you slow down and work less. You're able to be creative, spontaneous, and a bit more fun. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Chris. I'm already excited because we had such a laugh before we even recorded and we agreed to start on a bit of vulnerability and, you know, everyone has heard your quite funny um, resume and introduction as well. But I just wanted to start with sort of the noticing I did before we even started recording today because I wanted to make sure I checked through your book a little bit more before we started recording. Uh, So I just noticed... As I was stumbling around my stuff and um, this urge to declutter because I couldn't um, find your book. <laughs> you know the irony of that I was like,, it's so funny. So instead, I put your TED Talk on and had it in my headphones as I was walking around listening to that and wondering where on earth your book is, I found it in the most obvious place right next to my computer where I put it a week ago. So on that note of vulnerability, it's so interesting how we can become more aware and mindfully notice this, not just the sort of physical clutter, but also the mental clutter. So there's so much I'm going to talk to you about today around how we can be less busy for more impact. I'm really looking forward to it. So welcome to the show, Chris.
1: Thank you, Michaela. Um, yeah, looking forward to having a reach out with you. But it's ironic, isn't it? Like, it happens to everybody. We all get consumed and we all get covered by clutter sometimes even the best of us even me a self-proclaimed minimalist even sometimes I'm looking around and I'm like where have I put my keys where have I put my oh I can't re-. and it just happens to all of us and you know so uh so how do we reduce those times when we do lose the book or do lose the keys or or the kids <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah looking forward to it
0: and you kind of mentioned the key word there, the M word, minimalism. So we wanna, let's just start there and think about what is minimalism and how did you come onto the track of, of making that a priority in your life?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, sometimes it's quite a, a controversial topic because um, people don't like getting, getting rid of stuff. They tend to attach the word less with loss and... Uh, We'll probably dig into that a little bit later, maybe the psychology behind some of that. But yeah, my kind of view on minimalism is around having the things that add value to your life only in your life, basically. Removing the stuff that doesn't enhance you, it doesn't make you better, it doesn't add value, it's not useful. And that can be the physical things, you know, know, the, the, the toys, the books, the games, the DVDs, the furniture, all that stuff as well as the digital stuff and the mental stuff and maybe even the career stuff as well. So I kind of have this minimalist mindset, is what I call it, is around, I kind of look at everything in life and go, is it adding value? And if it doesn't, I tend to then question it and go, well, why am I keeping it? Or why am I investing my resources, things like time, money, energy, into the thing? And the thing could be a physical thing or the thing could be, a task for example and so if you're in our professional lives maybe we're investing lots of time in something that doesn't really matter (laughs) in the bigger scheme of things and and so i kind of use this minimalist mindset to kind of question pretty much everything now and because i've been doing that it's made my life a lot freer you know it's made me more intentional in decisions and, and actually i have a lot more experiences now i have why that's like called an abundance of experiences. So rather than an abundance of stuff and crap and work, uh, I have enough of all of those to keep me fulfilled. But I have an, an abundance of experiences that I can then share with others and look back on as wonderful memories. So, yeah, my, my view on minimalism is a bit more holistic than just the stuff.
0: Mm. And it's really important that that word value there, because I find that a lot more realistic and acceptable than, say, considering, does this item bring me joy, Um, to quote, say, Marie Kondo, which, you know, decluttering queen, organizational queen. But sometimes that can be really difficult for the people I serve, who are very stressed, tired, overworked parents, who find that there's stuff everywhere, you know, a mental load of tasks to do and uh, a physical chaos in their house. Not every task that you do and not every item that you own is going to bring you joy when you're a parent. In fact, there's quite a lot of them that you'd probably rather get rid of. Um, So I find that does it add value is more important perhaps because then you can think this item that that my child owns like a pot of slime. You know, we don't want slime. Slime is nasty, but it adds value. because (laughs) my, My kid loves digging around in it and it can, you know, bring fun for hours and you can even make fart noises with it. You know this that that value that you can add from that, even though it's yeah. bringing me any joy <laughs> to own a pot of slime. So I wonder if you can expand a bit more on that sort of yeah. the connection between value and meaningfulness and fulfillment, rather than happiness yeah. and joy at all times, because life is not always full of happiness and joy.
1: Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I'm going to look up see if I might purchase myself a pot of slime, especially if it makes fart noises. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's <laughs> I mean, what's there not to love about this past line? Sounds great to me. Um, yeah, ironically, Marie Kondo and I share the same personality type, which was really interesting. Uh, so that's a little, little side fun note.
0: Mm. But
1: yeah, I look at things uh, in in my home that I'm currently living in now, and I always kind of look at stuff. Things like that I used last night, a a garlic press, for example. A garlic press doesn't bring me joy. But mm-hmm. it adds value and mm-hmm. I use it. So therefore it remains, it remains in my environment because I use it and it adds value. Um, what you can't see is on my table in front of me, I've got a box of books that I've read. Uh, I don't need any more and I won't get any more value from. Mm. I've now sold those to webuybooks.co.uk. I scanned every single one of them. I managed to get an extra nine pounds. so um, so there you go so again I'm using the stuff that added value I've used it it's given me joy for want of a better word you know it's added value and now I can move it on and let go of it Mm. so someone else can now add it to their environment and get some value from it but yeah not everything that we own or use is going to be super valuable but it might be really useful Mm. um, things like you know I'm just looking around my home, and I'm, I've got I've got a few things that are useful, but I wouldn't really add them as you know really fantastic things like a like a plug adapter or something like that. You right. know, so yeah, so yeah, it's always good to look around your home and go, what do I use? What is useful, and what keeps me going, basically, and mm-hmm. um, around the home. So yeah, that's that's what I look at in regards to usefulness and versus kind of everything making me super happy all the time because that's not the reality right
0: no it's not going to be but I guess that's a really nice way of of looking in your physical environment and decluttering things that otherwise makes maybe you know your morning more chaotic because it's like such a time thief to not find your keys it's an energy waste to look around for this one book that you needed for half an hour so I wonder you know if if you've noticed any impact (laughs) on your productivity when you spend less time or waste less time um going through all your items and belongings and you know owning less and being more minimalistic how how has that affected your productivity and focus
1: oh i've dialed it up yeah i mean not just in the in the physical environment because when you when you declutter i'm sure you know it gives you a little bit of dopamine Mm. so people then go back and do more of it so you get you feel good And so letting go of stuff actually has a psychologically positive impact on people, which is why we really enjoy kind of, I, I enjoy the feeling of letting go because you almost get that metaphorical weight off your shoulder. When you have that, you then create space, you know, the physical and metaphorical space. Like you were saying earlier, if you're rushing around in the morning, trying to get the kids out to school and take the dog for a walk and you're trying to get everyone dressed and all that stuff, the less stuff you have in your way, physically and mentally, the easier that journey becomes. And you can kind of use that concept in your professional environment as well. So I've managed to do things like, you know, ditch meetings or not put so much value on responding to emails in 24 hours. You know, where did this rule come from? And release this kind of let go of this urgency addiction and playing the hero all the time. Because once I got rid of that, all of a sudden I had more time and I had more time to be creative and solve bigger problems and actually help more people because I wasn't consumed in stuff the whole time. And because I had more space, I was able to solve bigger problems. And and because of that, you know, add even more value than just being busy all the time and rushing out the door and, and things like that. So yeah, the, the metaphorical and physical space that you can create by letting go of things is massively impactful and there's no surprise why this whole massive decluttering industry has got a massive boom recently with you know I've seen T V shows like Sort Your Life out on BBC with Stacy Solomon. They've just commissioned a season two. Hmm. You see all these T V shows on Netflix like The Home Edit and obviously the the Marie Kondo which was a couple of years ago, the minimalists have got two documentaries out. <laughs> so this whole kind of movement into less is now a mindfulness approach you know so letting go is is now viewed as mindfulness
0: mm.
1: so why wouldn't people want to kind of at least give this concept a go because trust me my life has gone 180 since kind of beginning to let go of some of those dvds <laughs> that i had yeah. strewn all over the floor and I add so much more value to people now. And I'm like, "Oh, well, everybody can do this. You know, it's really quite a, a physically simple approach to let go of stuff. The attachment, which we'll probably get into later, is more difficult, of course. But the actual act and process of removing something from your home and, and selling it or putting it in the bin or recycling it is relatively straightforward. And you give yourself so much more time and space, and I think right now, that's probably what we all need.
0: Mm. And it's also interesting how the art or the act of letting go can also help give further value to you, that you've kind of mentioned the example of the books, you know, passing them on to someone else to give them value. It might be that, you know, you make a charitable donation, you know, uh, selling them and donating the money or donating them directly to charities that you believe in, and all of that might mean that it feels more meaningful to you as well that the stuff that you don't need i find that especially for uh child paraphernalia you know baby items you know passing them on to someone who's expecting and they get a good start in life for their baby because a lot of these things don't get very much use and wear and tear before the baby grows out of it so that act of donating it the act of kindness of not only do you clear your own space which like you said gives a bit of an opening kick but also you're passing it on to someone else and we know that doing good feels good we know that giving to others feels good for us as well um we obviously don't want to get into uh, the discussion of altruism but i guess as as long as we are doing things that help declutter for us and add value to someone else and that can only be a win-win right
1: oh yeah i mean it's I don't know if you've ever seen the American version of the office where they sort of call it the win win win. <laughs> I and mean, it's like the it is it is a comedy, but ultimately there is so much benefit to letting go of of stuff because yeah, not only do you win we're gaining all the space and maybe some extra resources as well, but the person who's receiving your thing gets to use that and gets to experience that. But also, yes, if you're donating it can help someone who would have bought something brand new, which would have then had to be created and produced, which would have been emitted carbon into that. So all of these things have such an amazing impact that it's far more reaching than we initially think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, I always tell this story about this guy who uh, moved in to his home with uh, a new partner and they had two separate homes and so rather than, um, sell stuff initially he put all of his stuff in storage so he was paying a monthly fee to store furniture that he was never really going to use again and after kind of a couple of conversations together he then donated it to the british heart foundation and then about six months later they emailed him to say i'll oh, just let you know we've made a few hundred pounds on the stuff that you donated us which then goes to all the researching heart disease or paying the employees that work in the charity shops etc so just by him doing that one act had a ripple effect across the community and and if you then connect the dots potentially there might have been a uh, something that had been created to you know help with a patient who had a heart problem and so that's the kind of ripple effect that actually this act of letting go can really really have that we don't necessarily see the immediate uh long-term long-term kind of uh, impact but yeah we see the immediate and then it has so much more far-reaching impact afterwards as well.
0: Mm. It's really fascinating that you use the word ripple effect or the, the term, because that's what came to mind for me when I was listening, that this can go so many steps, can't it? Um, but there's an element of trust needed that I can do this act of letting go. I can trust that it will be fine if I get rid of this item I, I see this a lot when I used to work with with hoarding for instance and, and OCD it can be really difficult with a kind of acquisition problem I, I need to acquire items and then it can be very difficult to let go and the shedding problem as you know I, I can't let go of these items because they're often linked to something that is traumatic in nature or very anxiety provoking or just cement sentimental memories that I just can't let go of these things so I just interesting the link between letting go or shedding, the physical environment things and shedding this mentality of overdoing overworking over busyness that there's almost like an anxiety that arises from both of these acts of letting go I wonder if we can think a bit more about that link
1: yeah 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 definitely so um the the connection there Michaela is once I realized how much new kind of time, space and energy I had by getting rid of the physical stuff. I then tried to plug it into my professional one as well. And, um, yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the TED talk earlier. So if people want to listen to that, there is a story in there of an experiment that I did a little bit by luck, but I then kind of had a look at how that impacted me around doing work that didn't really matter, doing loads of work that didn't really matter, but because I was busy, I felt a little bit fulfilled. I felt like I was adding value again, that word value. Mm. But for some reason, I felt that a lot of the stuff that I was doing wasn't really as impactful as I initially thought it was. And just because I was putting in the hours and working really hard, I felt that I actually doing, I'm doing my bit. So I did a few experiments and, and what I found that was that a lot of us were really, really attached to being busy. And I don't know whether it was maybe how we were brought up or maybe how we've been conditioned in, in corporate settings, especially or maybe with the industrial age, is that the more we do, the better we achieve or the more we achieve. And in the past, that might have been true. And we might have viewed the world successfully by the material possessions, like how much stuff do we have? How big's your house? What's your title? What's your salary? And if you have uh, a high amount of those, that means you are successful. But actually underneath all of that, your health could be in a mess. You, you know, might have had three divorces. Your kids don't like you. Uh, you're overweight. All of these things you know, underneath are then deemed as unsuccessful. So actually, I think we're looking at the world in a slightly different way now in regards to what does success mean? And we will have that as an individual view anyway. But what I found is that just by doing more didn't necessarily mean it was any better and so I did lots and lots of little experiments and I found that actually I was I also was starting to get attached to urgency hmm. so I would say to people in the team that I used to work with I would be like Come, I need this in 24 hours and no one would really question as to why I need it and this is now I've now started to see this in in kind of senior leadership areas people go, Oh, can we get this? Can we get this meeting? Can we get this? Can we get, and we just caught on this continual hamster wheel of urgency and being busy. And I'm like, well, can we just stop a second? Why do we need this? And I had a client last week who actually uh, kind of shared this view and she was a senior leader and, and she had this view of the world that everyone was trying to put lots of work onto her and everything was very urgent. Even though she was trying to work a normal you know, seven, eight hour day, uh, bring the kids up, have a relationship, have hobbies, etc., But everyone else seemed to be putting on this urgency. So a, as a test, she would send stuff to people and then password protect it and would see how long it took for them to come back to ask for the password. So she would play, a, play the fool and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. And she found that about 50% of the people that asked for something urgently that needed it that day never really opened the document until about two weeks later. And so she went back to them and said, can we just make sure that we don't class this as urgent, please? Because actually not everything is urgent. Because if everything was urgent, nothing would be urgent. And so she kind of is now starting to prove this concept in her little network of people by actually showing them the mirror and going just because we've got into this habit and this culture of now it doesn't mean that everything is needs to be done immediately so I really love that experiment and I thought I'd share that with, um, with you Michaela because it might add value to your listeners who might want to maybe be a little bit brave and try doing that and seeing if the urgency thing is something that maybe they're pushing on to people, always being pushed on onto them. Because yeah, if you uh, superhero films are really fun to watch, but working for one is exhausting. Mm. <laughs> so everyone puts their capes on and go. Come on, we're looking for the next crisis to solve, mm. and then bring everyone else with them. And oh god, this is really exhausting. Um, so yeah, so leaders and professionals who are really good at that, or really good at problem solving, will proactively look for the next problem to solve and bring all the rest of their team with them as well, which can then lead to increased levels of burnout as well, which is another issue that you know we're all facing at the moment. And I think the most recent stat I saw was around was 52% of people have felt burnout post the pandemic. Mm. That's half of us, pretty much. And they're the ones that know about it. So maybe the other half are kind of like, oh, well, I'm just a bit tired. But actually, they are probably burnt out, but they don't really know it. Mm. So, yeah, so this whole kind of busyness, this urgency, um, where we believed in the past that it was a sign of success, in my view now, it's a sign of chaos. And, you know, if you're looking at future talent who don't have time to learn, don't have time to... Uh, be a good friend don't have time for self-care how is that a successful inspirational individual I find that an intriguing kind of concept now so um so yeah let's, let's remove this urgency addiction only when it's necessary unless you're working in a emergency services call center not everything is urgent
0: and I love that sense of of questioning the narrative, uh, of having constantly lots to do. And I wanted to read out a quote, which is fantastic, from your book. I'd like to find out why I'm so busy, but I just can't find the time to do it. And quote to everyone. Yeah. because Everyone says this. And it's just so telling that, you know, when we don't have time to stop, that's exactly when we need to. When we don't have time to reflect, that's exactly when we need it. Sometimes they, this, the, I think it's sort of a, an old Buddhist saying of when you don't have the time to meditate for 10 minutes, that's when you need to do an hour <laughs> because you, your mind is in chaos yes, and, yes. and you are too overwhelmed. Um, so I think, and you also say in a TED talk around how super busy never made the adventures. Um, I quite like that. That super busy is not a hero yeah. you want to aspire yeah. to be. Um, and for a lot of the women listening, uh, there's also this idea of super mum or super, the super mum myth that, you know, I need to juggle all of these things, spin all the plates and I can do it. Um, I can definitely do it. And it uh, makes me think of that film with Sarah Jessica Parker called, as quite old now, As uh, I think it was called I Don't Know How She Does It. And I, behind that image of... <laughs> over busyness and over productivity, overworking, and this awe and admiration people still give. Like, I don't know how you do it. Well, you're probably not doing it for very long without the mm-hmm. burnout. That there is a cost, often a hidden yeah. cost, um, like high functioning anxiety underneath the surface, uh, feeling a sense of emptiness or yeah. not being fulfilled, wondering, is this it? Or wondering, where will I ever sleep again? <laughs> because this uh this urgency is so stressful yeah. it's in you know interfering with your uh, with your everyday life so i think this is a very valuable conversation to have around how actually doing less is more and your book is called discovery of less so do you want to yeah. talk a bit more about how this has affected your mind when you've been letting go of some of the mental clutter what what effects have you noticed in your in yourself
1: yeah i, I think i noticed that i was telling myself uh false stories for years and maybe we all have, to a certain degree, you know, what you were saying there about that particular film and the view of the successful person being being a juggler or, you know, part time working in a circus because it's spinning so many plates and things like that and And I got this view of that multitasking, even though it's officially it's not not thing. It's task switching. We can't the brain can't do multiple things at once. It just switches from one thing to another really, really quickly. So when people say I'm really good at multitasking, that's again that's another myth that Mm we probably need to bust because you can't physically multitask. You you task switch, and that's not something to be proud of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So the the stories that I used to tell myself. Uh, actually held me back and it kept me in this kind of weird comfort zone. It kept me drifting along in life. I'd say a solid six out of 10, you know, it was all right, but it was somewhat unfulfilling and I had all these aspirations underneath that didn't really, that I couldn't reach because I was telling these stories, these stories that I couldn't do certain things. Or I, if I, if I quit my job, it would be wrong to do so. And so my, my view of the world is very binary, you know, ownership that's another thing we must own stuff and again maybe we have been brought up to we must own our houses and we must own the car and so we must go into huge debt to do all of these things and again that's these are the stories I kind of questioned and the only way I was able to do that was by kind of getting off this hamster wheel and getting off this treadmill of continual busyness and, and, and chaotic life and I went traveling and basically sold everything I ever owned quit my job and and let go of the home that I owned and I went traveling then because I was off that n- normal view of life I was unable to look back on it and go well actually is this a view and is this a design that I want and so yeah I, I then decided to redesign a new life for myself that added way more Value, but part of that was getting rid of the mental clutter that I brought along with me, it was continual baggage, right? So, yeah, I had massive imposter syndrome for ages and managed to kind of figure out how to overcome that. And that still pops up every now and then, I just have ways to overcome it. And self limiting beliefs was another one, you know, so things that I couldn't do, like write a book, for example. So, my English teacher. Um told me when I was sixteen that I would never be able to write anything because I failed my exams, so that story I replayed over and over and over again for many, many years, and actually that was I busted that myth as well um mm-hmm. by writing articles and you know writing a book right um I wish I could go and give him a copy now and again, there you go, mate um do it so yeah, so. All these stories, yeah, all these stories that I, I'd i kind of hoarded, I suppose, and stored for so long, um, I had to question and eventually got rid of. And by doing that, again, it gave me the kind of mental freedom to try new things and be a little bit more confident and ask and speak to more people. And then that has led to this continual journey of you know, inspiring people and becoming a coach and speaker and author and things like that and going into into teams and organisations that I can see myself from six, seven, eight years ago. I can see a teams of people of me that are going, oh, we can't do this because... And so I go in and try and, you know, bend these rules slightly or, you know, break that mental clutter of, you know, what if we did maybe a meeting every two weeks instead of every one week. And people would be like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> can't do that. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what's, what's stopping us? We're like, well, we don't really know. We've just been doing things for so long now that it's become normal. And that's what tends to happen is we tell these stories to ourselves over and over and over and over again, whether they're true or not. But by the time that we, when they're, they're cemented in our brain, they are true they become our Mm. truths you know and that's what then stops us from breaking things or pushing the boundaries or letting go and so yeah so for me getting rid of that mental clutter was a huge huge um hurdle to overcome but super rewarding and you know the impact on on people now because i've done that is significant Um, and i can see people now that have changed careers i can see people now that are so much more confident in themselves they know what their strengths are they know what they can do they have the confidence to say no to people they're able to put boundaries up then they're more productive and it's just because they let go of these stories that had been in their backpack dragging them along for so many years so so yeah the mental clutter is really really impactful and i suppose it all goes back to if you're able to let go of some of the physical stuff that could be easy because you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see an immediate impact if you sell it or you can give it to someone. The mental clutter part has more long-term impacts for your mental health, for your self-care, etc., and actually, again, for the people around you because you become this new enlightened version of yourself. The actual version you should be all along.
0: Mm. That's really powerful because it taps into purpose, it taps into living a more meaningful life. You know, you kind of actually also accounting for the successes you've had because you focused less on the overworking and over busyness and, and slimlining, lining you know what you were doing and you look at something like writing a book or or being on a ted talk which are you know ted is like the holy grail for a lot of people who uh, want to be thought leaders and, <laughs> yeah. and make an impact so it's just it's just funny no, funny's Not funny is another word it's just very telling of how when we start to challenge these narratives this sort of toxic productivity narr- narrative that we have especially in the corporate world mm. you are able to do more with less and we can see this in you know the shorter working day and shorter working week we can look at scandinavian countries i am from sweden so to me it's baffling how people would be answering emails like late at night we can look at france who's now actually made it illegal to send emails out after a certain uh, point in the evening yeah, So it's the law right yeah yeah exactly so it's and that is changing the contingencies, changing the environment around you. And I often talk uh, with high drivers about the, the the link between the internal pressure that you put, the put yourself—that's your, the mental clutter you refer to—the musts and the shoulds and the rules—and I need to um, I need to perform—and then the environment around you that may often feed that internal pressure by putting on external pressure or. Um, praising your addiction to achievement, praising you for being productive uh, when it's actually not really productive. It's just busy. You're just doing lots of stuff. Um, so that's, I just wanted to kind of have a reassurance yeah. to anyone listening that we're not suggesting that you will now be a slacker and uh, loaf around and not do stuff and not be a valuable member of a team if you're employed, not actually be hitting your goals or your targets if you are self-employed like me. It's actually just freeing you up to be focused, to be engaging in meaningful tasks and doing the things that matter, the things that move the needle forward. Um, So that's been really, really meaningful. And obviously this is called pause, purpose, play. So it sounds like there's a kind of flow to that, that you have been finding sort of a moment to pause and go, hang on a minute, I'm stumbling over stuff. I don't want all this clutter. What can I notice about that? Noticing your internal world, your stories you were telling yourself, noticing the clutter around you and then moving into living a more purposeful meaningful life by adding value i then think we come right nice nicely into the play because i'm hearing so much rebellion (laughs) like that you're actually uh you know a disruption expert there's so much of like let's shake this up let's just not do what we've always done so i'm wondering like how does play come into things for you chris
1: yeah, I I am I am a little bit of a disruptor, and I think in the past, again, the kind of binary view of words that 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 might have been viewed negatively. Um, but I think now we probably need more disruptors than than ever, because the status quo maybe doesn't work for this new normal that we're living in. We can't keep consuming the energy, the stuff that we have done in the past. We've seen the damage that that's having. And again, we can relay that back into our work and professional lives as well. The way that we were working before might have worked for then, but now we're seeing the damage with all of the people that are burning out, with people that are resisting the civil unrest in many parts of the world in regards to the social and economic pressures and things like that. That is being now played out in companies because now the... People's BS detector is is on high alert Mm. in regards to, like you're saying, purpose and words and actions. You know, yes, you can say certain things, but what are you actually doing about X, whatever it is? So, yeah, people have a very, very strong BS detector right now. Um, Again, I've gone into companies and done workshops and things like that where leaders have been like, oh, I, I want you all to take breaks you know, I value your well-being. But then the leader works ridiculous hours, puts all the pressure on the team. And so actually the words and the actions are in conflict. Mm -hmm. And there were so many examples of that during the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement where we had companies like Whole Foods, for example, who put a statement out to say that we support Black Lives Matter. And then they fired someone for coming into work wearing a Black Lives Matter Mm T-shirt. So the actions and the words that we're now looking at of you know we're you know we're looking at kind of going action what are you actually doing about the thing so yeah so our kind of view on on disruption now is important we need some rule breakers again that's a positive not a bad thing now we need mm-hmm. some rule breakers because we're not we're not here to commit crimes we're just here to make things better and we need to kind of break some old rules that yes might be, have worked in the past but maybe not so much now and so that i think then aligns with fun and play because you get to redesign your new normal you get to redesign how your team operates which is probably you know for most of us when we used to go into those strategy sessions people like oh you know blue sky thinking you know clean slate you know blank bit of paper the opportunities were endless we could we could change the world. And that's the kind of environment that we want to you know, get back into is kind of what's this old stuff that we don't need anymore. And what's the new way of success? What's our new mantra that we're going to live and, and work by. And so a couple of examples that I've done recently have been things like saying no to people. And again, whether that's saying no to senior people or your team or your peers, or whatever, having that skill is now one of the most important skills to have in the future.
0: Hmm.
1: You, you know, it might be easy to learn tech, or it might be easy to learn the doing part, you know, how to use Outlook or how to edit a video, for example. We can learn how to do that, you know, but actually learning the skill on how to strengthen your human skills or what we probably known as soft skills, which I, which they're not soft. Mm. These are super important. These are human skills that you're going to be able to succeed in, in this new normal. Being able to say no is going to be one of them. Creating boundaries is going to be another one of them because in the world we live in with social media and information everywhere, we're always on. We're always available 24 seven. And then we go in and we plug ourselves into our, uh, into our professional setting in that same environment we are human beings we're not designed to be always on we need to stop we need to rest we need to sleep otherwise we end up burning out and then that just makes has more impact negative impact on everyone around us so actually by stopping by having the ability to take regular breaks and not overwork is a benefit for everybody in your network everyone around you and And, you know, what I I alluded to maybe before we started recording this around, you know, what does a good leader look like in the future? I wouldn't necessarily see a leader who is, you know, back-to-back in meetings all day or working till ridiculous hours into night and constantly putting stuff on their team to do as inspirational. Hmm. I want to see someone who has vulnerabilities, who has... Boundaries to say, look, we can't do it all, but this is what we're going to do. Who's able to tell stories? Who's able to connect the dots to the impact that the stuff they're doing is having in the world? Right. By being busy, is being busy is basic now. Being busy is almost lazy because it's so easy to do. Everybody, everybody is busy. And what's the saying, Michaela? If
0: -hmm. it was
1: easy, everyone would do it.
0: Yeah.
1: But if everybody's busy. Does that mean it's easy to do? In my eyes, it is. And so, if we become a little less busy, that means you're becoming more intentional. You're taking more time to think about the things you're doing, and actually, you're probably a better version of yourself, and actually, all the people around you. So, so yeah, this kind of sounds a little disruptive. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, based on how we've been brought up in the past and how we've viewed success. But actually, now in the new normal. In my view, we need people that actually add way more value. I'm not fussed about how many meetings you go to or how much stuff you've done. I want to know the impact that it's had. And actually, one thing could have a huge impact. And if you measure that one thing against someone who's done 20 things, that's had very little impact. How would you kind of... How would you, you know, if you were kind of grading them, you know, what would you do? How would you kind of grade them differently? So, so yeah, so this kind of whole play area that we kind of alluded to, I think we've got a great opportunity now to be more playful with the rules that we've created ourselves because probably we've created some of these rules and how do we make some new ones that add more value into a new normal that is fit for a post pandemic world.
0: Mm. and i think that disruption is one word but i guess change making is another term you know if we all want to if we want to be change makers if we want to be you know trailblazers leading the leading the way it's going to mean stepping into discomfort it's going to mean other people will have opinions and i'm sure you will have uh, pushback this is something that happens sometimes when we set boundaries and where we are starting to be kinder towards ourselves and you know letting go of some of the um some of the the people and some of the actions that aren't treating as well that there can be a backdraft there can be people saying but you used to always do this uh, and now you're saying no and now you're saying you don't want more tasks Mm. on your on your to-do list and it it can be really difficult to sit with that changing the the environment changing the scenery around you this climate change i don't mean the, the climate that we live in in the world but i mean like your internal climate and the environment around you it takes time to shift it so i guess one thing to also consider is patience yeah. that you know when we are changing the world bit by bit when you're changing your own world it will take a while and a lot of people tell me that when they let, try to let go of over productivity and busyness and working a few hours they don't like it and i try to say you won't like it and that's the whole point of it That sitting with the discomfort there yeah. because it starts to bring up thoughts and feelings you've buried um you know being in the being rather than being in the doing can be wildly threatening and you won't necessarily like it so mm-hmm. then imagine the pushback you may get when you come into a whole company with all of these stuffy old corporate values that haven't been <laughs> evaluated for decades yeah. And it can be really difficult. I've found that when I've gone in to talk about perfectionism as well, that um, people say to me, "Well, you're not allowed to talk about um, letting go of perfect because what we, we want our workers to be perfect. And I have to really kind of go in with, actually it's not cost effective for you <laughs> to push for, perfect, for, for perfection because yeah. your staff uh, will hit burnout yeah. and that's not cost effective. So even I have to go for the cynicism and talk about the cost effectiveness there that it's actually very costly. To have this, um, like you said, the to-do list treadmill um, being a priority, it's it's just actually not cost-effective. Never mind the fact that it's not kind and not supportive, and all of these yeah. things that we call softer. It's not soft. It's brave and it's courageous.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. And oh, if you, if you want perfection, get a bot to do it. You know, if, you, if you, human beings, I don't think have the ability to be perfect. That's. Uh, I don't think we have that um, because we have different views of the world. We have faults. You know, if you want perfection in a machine, an industry, like, just get a robot to do it, right? But obviously, we're not anywhere near that yet because humans are creative. Um, so, yeah, perfection. <laughs> yeah, so it's fascinating that you mentioned that, that. We want everyone to be perfect. It's not possible, I don't, I don't think. But, yeah, I've definitely had some pushback, and I think it's great. Because it starts the conversation. Actually, it's all about experimenting. You know, try some stuff, and actually see what the negative consequence is of not doing the thing or letting go of the thing, and then reevaluate where you're at. So yeah, so I had a, a pushback a few weeks ago when I went into an organization, and I gave them this concept of uh, stop helping people. And they was like, what do you mean? No, we we have to, this is what we do. And I was like, no, hold on a second, right? Let's just replay what tends to happen. So in that particular situation, you had one individual who was the go-to person, the font of all knowledge, right? So everyone would go to them and they would say, Michaela, can you help me? Can you answer this question for me? Can you tell me with this? Can you show me where this is? So they were hijacking that person's time all the time. But that individual got a massive buzz out of helping those people because giving advice is the same chemical cocktail than when you get a like on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, right? It's the same. So we feel it makes us feel good. So again, why would we not want to do that? Giving advice makes us feel great. And so every time that individual was interrupted of course, they would put on their cape and they'll go, yeah, no problem. I'll help you. I'll stop doing exactly what I was doing. Um, and I'll annoy someone else because now I'm helping this new person. So the, the view of this new normal was actually, why don't you share your knowledge? Now, like, well, do, how do I do that? The same type of questions you get regularly, post a video about it or write an article about it. Or do a, a a webinar where you record yourself breaking down the thing that you are asked a lot. And that kind of concept had never really come up in that whole team and that whole massive department. They're like, well, we, if we were to do that, then do we become redundant? I was like, well, we've now gone from adding so much value to then gone. So that's how our mind works. We go into the catastrophizing, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job if I'm not important. But actually what you do then, you then free up the time to be more creative, to solve the bigger problems. And actually by uh, refusing, not refusing to help, by helping people in a different way, by letting them help themselves, you're then able to grow those people uh, without necessarily being by their side. So you could do things like, ask more questions so when they come to you and they go "Oh, how do I do this you go where have you what have you already tried or where have you already looked and generally mm. people will go oh I haven't really done anything because I know you've got the answer just give me the answer mm. and so yeah so what they would go into experiment with was by pushing back a little bit on those individuals say oh by the way that information is already stored here so just let you know you can go there and learn how to do the thing and so by doing that, that individual then uh, doesn't need to come back to you the next time, which then you have more time, you have that extra time to do the things that were already on your plate. Hmm. And that individual can then go back and share that. And they, they start to grow. They start to become self-sufficient. They start to become less reliant on you. So that was one of the things that we, where we, these old rules that had been made up through culture you know, Mm -hmm. the people of culture. So they just created these rules. That was just one small experiment that one individual would do to see what the negative consequence would be. Mm -hmm. And surprise, surprise, there was no negative consequence whatsoever, only positives because, yes, the people that were coming in to ask for help were then pushed back a little bit and go, it's over here, it's on the website, or it's over here. They went, oh, okay, great, I'll go and check that out. So they had the solution to their problem in there the whole time. That person then had more time to do the things that they already had to do. And then the team starts to grow. It becomes boundary setting now. So these are the requests we will take because they're complex. The simple ones, we've already posted these elsewhere, so you can go and find Mm -hmm. that out. So yeah, so even that kind of very small change can have a huge positive impact. So yeah, I would probably recommend try some experiments
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then see if there was any negative consequence. And if there isn't, make that your new culture. So,
0: yeah. Mm. That's really thought-provoking because I imagine it can also be something that is is disruptive uh, to, to say, stop helping people. But what we're really saying there is actually be wiser with your time and help people develop self-efficacy and that will grow their competence as well as their yeah. confidence and protect your time and energy because we know that if you get constantly interrupted, we're coming back to that switch tasking. You're switching between the person who's asking for your help and then back to your own work. And if your role was defined as you are there to solely answer questions that people are asking for, that would be another thing. But it sounds like the, the scenario you're describing here is someone who actually has other work that they're doing that they're being pulled away from. And then that's not purposeful because that is just gently, yeah. um, you know, gently interrupting them. Even if it's done with kindness, it is still interrupting that person's flow. And we we're never going to be in productivity if we don't ever get to enter a flow state of unfocused, like fully focused, uninterrupted attention. So, yeah, it's really thought provoking of how we can yeah. shift the narratives and shift the way we're thinking about things. I wonder, as a sort of final question, I know the people listening, they might think, yeah, yeah, this is great. And then in reality, when they come to do it, they kind of try to do a little bit less or maybe let go of some of the things on the to do list thoughts and feelings will show up, Um, you know, feeling guilty, feeling uh, a sense of shame. Um, Like you described in your in your example of uh, the spreadsheet. um, And these tasks that don't get picked up uh, within two weeks, nobody opens the document. Have you got any tips for people who are listening who are thinking, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds great in theory. But in practice, I don't know how to do less. I don't know how to be less busy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So again, it's the the boundary setting. So even simple things like putting your out of office on. So you have a couple of hours in the afternoon to do some deep work. So like get into flow state to be creative. So by doing that, you're telling people, no, for during the hours of three to five, I am not available because I need to do X, right? So you turn your phone off, you put your out of office on, you become unavailable. That is an act, an action of saying no. So you create your boundary. So even things like that um can be something that's so so simple. But yeah, I I I understand the whole guilt thing, but again let's sit with it. You know, I encourage people to try stuff, sit with it, and see if there are any negative consequences because of it. Um I mean we've had yeah, I mentioned the, the past the lady who set the password up on her documents and the the team I've gone into are going to now help people to be a bit more self-sufficient. So yeah, so all of these things have positive endings. They have positive outcomes in the end and yeah, doing things like maybe not going to every single meeting you're invited to, you know, because your brain power only has a certain amount to offer during every day. And so if you're going to every single meeting, you're giving less and less and less of yourself by every meeting you go to. And actually people want you. They want not the diluted version. They want you on top form all the time. And the best way to to kind of to be that way is to just have regular breaks. And here's a good one to start off with, Michaela. Have a lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> and just take your legally allotted our lunch break today that's a great start okay Mm. because there's no there's no guilt in that there shouldn't be any guilt in that whatsoever even if other people were working through a lunch break that's their choice
0: Mm.
1: you have a lunch break and because that is your legally (laughs) contracted thing that you are allowed to have in the uk and so between 1-2 1-2 or 12-1 and one, or whenever you want to have your break, just actually book out your hour, right? Yeah. And I'd be interested to see how many people are really then pulled back into, oh, I'll just check a couple of emails or I'll just I'll just see how... Mm-hmm. Stop, just stop. The world won't end. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to die again unless you're working in an uh, emergency services call centre. Um, nothing is going to go completely kaput if you have a lunch break. Mm. So, again, it's just that realisation that actually the world won't fall apart if you mm. stop for a few minutes. And then you can implement that into other different areas of, of, your, of your world, of your, of your work. So I've got a client at the moment who's trying out saying no to their boss uh, because their boss is a superhero. Their boss is, wants to be part of the Avengers and their boss has an urgency attachment and things like that. So what they do is they ask more questions. So rather than going straight into solution mode, they say, well, actually the five things that you gave me yesterday, which of those things is now not important because I can't do them all because I have a finite amount of time and actually I wanna do the best I can. And actually if I do all of these things, they're gonna be average. It's gonna be 50, 60% of me because I can't dedicate that amount of time. Um, So yeah, asking more questions. And actually, by asking more questions to senior leaders, it then makes them stop and think, Going, well, actually, do I really need this? Or they might then go back to other people and go, what would, what do we need this for? Um, so, again, these are the experiments we can all do. And I've got a couple going on at the moment. I always do. I always have experiments going on at the moment where I'm going back to people and going, what, what do we need this for? Hmm. You know, what's the, what's the purpose? And if people can't answer that question, that's a little bit of a red flag. Because then mm-hmm. you, we, we're just doing stuff because we've just always done stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, even you know, little things like you know responding to emails is another one. Um, some people have been. This is when people are slightly brave, Michaela, right? Really brave people, they will leave their emails and not respond to them for like a week, mm-hmm. and then they'll go back to the individual and they'll say, "Sorry, because of the delay, I've either been away or I've had other things to do. Do you still need any help?" Nine times out of ten, they'll come back and go, oh, no, no, I've sorted it, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, by just, you know, not responding, it has that kind of, oh, that's a little bit awkward because we like to kind of keep people in the loop and things like that. But you'll be surprised how many people have gone on maternity leave or career breaks or holiday and put their out of office and say, look, if you email me during this time, I am going to delete it. Because at this point, I am not available. Mm. Um, and so yeah so there's a few bits on i've put on linkedin that are quite they're just funny stories and but have a kind of interesting disruptive meaning behind them so yeah i'd encourage everyone to try one small thing today in their professional life or in their personal life These like different that might be slightly disruptive that may add some massive value might regain your time regain your resources your energy and then you can invest that in something that's way more important. So so yeah, so there's my there's a few little nuggets in there that might add value to people
0: really good helpful concrete tips um, of everything from breaking free from lunch al desco which is a term i learned about when i moved to to london from sweden
1: oh i love that what
0: is lunch al desco oh yeah eating at your desk and i was like this is abhorrent and you know it turns out there's there's a bigger picture to that as well that there's not enough breakout areas because um commercial property is so expensive in 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 london so They don't have designated spaces where people can go away from their desks. So people eat at the desk or they have to go out. And that's obviously costly if you always go out to buy something. So that's one of the things I really uh, plugged for when we were redesigning my my NHS office. I said, there has to be a breakout space. You have to have a place where we can sit and talk and with a closed door and not disturbing people out there who are still working. And also being able to just heat up your, your food in the microwave and sit down or bring in your salad or whatever you want to do. I just absolutely detest lunch al It's just not, no, uh, we don't do that because you never get break away from, from the mental preoccupation, which is essentially what happens when we're over busy. We pre, we are preoccupied. Our brain is still working on it. It doesn't get a break. So this, I guess, leads us into a really final Little takeaway for the listeners. You've given them so many good tips, but I wonder if we can sort of condense that up into a pressure you want to take off them or permission you want to give them. What would that be?
1: Yeah, great. Uh, firstly, I love the saying lunch our desco. I've never heard that before, um, so I might use that if that's okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. The, the whole uh, permission thing, I think, is is a wonderful concept. We now have to give ourselves permission to stop. Um, and if we, if we're leading teams as well, we have to give them permission to stop and give them permission to give themselves permission to stop because where we're heading at the moment, we're heading into a, another epidemic or another pandemic, which is the overwork, the burnout pandemic. We cannot do it all. It's just not possible. So we're working more now, post-pandemic, than we were previously because we're working at home. Most of us are working from home or have the ability to work from home or have some kind of hybrid working. So, yeah, we're always available. And So now we have to be even more stringent, even more disciplined in regards to our self-care, in regards to our ability to stop and because every someone who continues to go on and on like a Duracell bunny uh, will no longer be viewed as successful they will be viewed as out of control and you do not want to be working for someone who is out of control because if they hold the decision-making abilities their decision-making capabilities will be flawed constantly um, so the world is changing rapidly we need time to relearn we need time to learn new skills and let go of some of those old cultures and old assumptions that we've been carrying around for so long. Because otherwise, we will either burn out, uh, our health will start deteriorating, or actually, it will negatively impact our businesses and those around us because we're making flawed decisions on old, redundant ways that will soon be outdated. Uh, the Gen Zs know it. You know, they you know we've heard the term "quiet quitting" recently. <laughs> That comes from TikTok, right? They've said we can't do it all. You know, actually you shouldn't be rewarding people for overwork, you should be rewarding people for impact and outcomes. Hmm. So give yourself permission to review your current way of working, your current way of living. Um input lots, output lots, outcome little. That's what we've currently got at the moment. Hmm. So if you now change that to input enough output enough outcome huge everybody wins so yeah so less of the input outputs and more focus on the outcomes Mm. Uh, i think give yourself permission to review the impact of your work and if it adds value great if it doesn't maybe just question whether or not you still need to do it
0: That's a beautiful point for me to round things off because I'm off to see my personal trainer in a minute because I work for myself. So I give myself that permission to stop, to have a break, to move my body, to do things that makes me well. And I really hope that this has been a valuable conversation for those of you listening and knowing that these culture shifts take time. And if you are interested in learning more about Chris's work, his book is called Discovery of Less and I will link also to his social media profile so you can follow the work that he does Um, and knowing that it's it's about doing less with more impact I have loved this conversation Chris thank you so much for being such a fantastic fantastic guest
1: Uh, my, my pleasure Michaela
0: thank you for listening to this episode I know you're busy and yet you made time for this episode so I'm very grateful for that And I hope you will realize that when you drop away from this busyness pattern, when you realize and notice your addiction to achieving, addiction to getting everything right or this idea that we need to constantly be on and available, your world will open up. I promise you, because I've seen this for myself and I see this for my clients time and time again, I promise you that working harder, working longer hours Doing more is not the answer, I promise you. So experiment with some of these things Chris has suggested to you today and see how that leaves you feeling at the end of the week. If you have allowed yourself the permission to do a few less emails, to to cut out a few meaningless tasks and see how that leaves you feeling, and then follow that. It doesn't mean that we're now suggesting for you to be sloppy in your work, be careless about the, the people in your life, so when he talked about helping less, I want you to really really focus on how that is essentially an exercise in boundaries. Setting a boundary towards other people doesn't mean you're unkind and don't want to help them. It means you're able to sustainably help them better in the times when it's relevant. And it also means that they are more likely to grow and expand as an individual than not just coming to you because you have the quick answer. And we live in a society that is full of must have a quick fix, sort this out now, clickbaity stuff. So no wonder that this is something that fits with urgency. So I really wanted to encourage you to think about how this shows up in your life, this idea of overworking and doing everything with a sense of urgency. It gets you into your threat system. It gets you into a sense of cortisol and adrenaline that is deeply exhausting. And remember the figures he shared around burnout. This is something I'm seeing so much in my practice as well. If you are burnt out, the answer is not to do more. It is to do less. So if you need help with this, my program Burn Bright now has a waitlist open. If you want to help yourself by putting in fundamental principles around letting go of overbusiness, moving away from toxic productivity and finding a life that is more balanced and meaningful for you, where you can have more impact, essentially where you can burn bright without burning out, drop me an email on info at and we can talk through whether this is right for you. And as always, until I speak to you next time, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's gonna help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out the second part is actionable easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break and the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause to download this free resource go to www thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm so that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm this episode of the pause purpose play podcast was presented by me Michaela Thomas and you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk and because great work rests on having a great team This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.